Hey, it's CNET Book Club, the podcast where we talk about books of interest. To CNET readers, I'm Dan Ackerman. Scott Stein is out on vacation doing something exciting, I'm sure. So joining me is David Carnoy. Hello, David. Hello. How are you? All right. And we're very excited to have Blake Crouch here. He has got a new book. It's called Recursion. And of course, you may know him from the Wayward Pines trilogy and Dark Matter uh, and many, many, many other books. Um, so why don't you just tell me a little bit about um, what led you up to this through your previous books that touch on a lot of these themes, and, and but don't go that far. Yeah. Uh, thanks so much for having me, first off. Um, after Wayward Pines, I kind of written this my first big idea book and I wanted to top that with Dark Matter which was a deep dive into quantum mechanics and sort of just the mystery of, of our existence and choices and so coming out of out of that experience one of the things uh, really foremost on my mind was how, how do I do something bigger and more mind-bending than anything I've done previously and it started with a pretty simple question which is what are the most precious things that we own. What are the things that define us? And that was memory for me. Um, I was really young, eight or nine years old, and my uh, grandfather on my mom's side had come to live with us toward the end of his life, and he had this, uh, he had dementia, and he had Alzheimer's. And, you know, I'd wake up and hear him rumbling around, and he, he would, he'd be talking to him during the day, and then he would suddenly, he would get this look in his eyes like he was focused on someone else, and he clearly thought he was talking to someone who'd probably been dead for 20 or 30 years. And that always stayed with me. And so coming into this, I was like, well, I really want to do something in the space of memory. I really want to lean into the, all the emotional character moments that, that my books have. But I wasn't quite sure how to go in. And then I discovered this article in the Smithsonian. It's about how these two scientists from MIT implanted a false memory in the brain of a mouse. What they had done is they had put these little electrodes through the skull and essentially taped the neurons firing. And then they were able to artificially refire them again. And in other words, conjure a memory without the mouse actually remembering, from, in this case, that they were being, having their feet shocked in this little labyrinth. And I thought, what if we take that as a way in and expand that out to humanity? What if, what if we could change our memories? What if we could go back and redo a, a bad memory? Or what if we could go into a memory immersively and live it again? Not just the way we all remember it in, you know, when we think of our, a fond childhood memory, but actually re-experience it. And that was my way in. And then it goes, you know, much, much further than that. You could think about, well, how will that change what's happening now if you're just re-experiencing something? But then through a lot of science, and like this, uh, it actually affects everyone uh, becoming a, a potential huge problem that just expands and expands as, as the book goes on. I love the story about the about the mouse because it, it, it kind of tells us that our brains are like computers and like that we can adjust the data in it. It's just ones and zeros in a sense. Um, well, and memories are, uh, all memories are, are patterns of neurons yeah. firing. That's all a memory is. Uh, and, and when we say... Think of uh, you know a, a wonderful time with your father that you had fishing or whatever. That is a pattern, and mm -hmm. each time you remember it, it's the same mm -hmm. pattern firing. And there is there is a way. And right now, I mean, my book is completely speculative. You could refire all of those same neurons. That would be very invasive 
in this moment. And that's why I went to some great links uh, mm-hmm. in the book to come up with a roundabout way of doing it. But you could just refire them artificially. I think there's a there's a, a, a great sort of angle about the dangers of, of out of control technology. It's a, it's a Frankenstein story in a way because you're creating something that that can be and is misused. Uh, and I feel that's that's a bit of a theme that you've touched on in a bunch of different works. Uh, what are your real life technology experiences and and, and background and, and things that have happened to you? Does that influence how the technology works in, in books like this and your other books? Um, it's all very self-taught and, and I was a, uh, hardcore English major and creative writing minor in, uh, at uh, UNC Chapel Hill. And I, I stayed as far away from math classes and science classes as I, as I possibly could back then. I was, oh, I was like, oh, maybe geology feels safe. It's just rocks. Um, and I, wow, I, I, I wish I had had a different perspective then because I would have taken far more classes and, and really dug into it. But maybe it's a good thing because I kind of discovered my love of science and, te- and emerging technologies and and how they interface with our daily lives um really only when i started uh writing wayward pines mm-hmm. um and, and you know, digging into the ideas of suspended animation and nature and um, you know evolutionary bursts of uh, you know, development in, in species so I, I really came about it late in life um but i think it, it gave me a more pure appreciation of it because I was doing it because I wanted to, not because a professor or a teacher was saying, you know, you got to figure out, uh, you know, what I know that recursion has, there are some programming, uh, uh, you know, applications for the word recursion as well. And, you know, but mm-hmm. I came to it out of pure curiosity. And had you, had you been influenced by other works, other movies in terms of that theme of the memory and things like, I don't know, total recall or anything in- oh yeah, I, I I loved Total Recall. I love uh, I love Memento. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think the, the notion of technology sort of spiraling out of control probably came from just my my love of Michael Crichton, who you know, awesome tech writer, tech techno. He kind of invented the techno thriller, uh, and you know he was for all of the groundbreaking um, you know commercialization and you know his explanations of very heady concepts. He also showed us how they could spin out of control. But I think you kind of have to have that in thrillers because, I mean, it's not really much of a, a fun story if, uh, you know, Helena invents this amazing memory technology and recursion, and it's just great, and everyone's happy. Everybody loves it. The end. It's a good time. Gotta burn the world down, right? That's why we, we, we did a story about, uh, people like to, like to complain about MacBook keyboards because they're so, like, shallow now. Uh, so we said, oh, people are complaining about them a lot, but you know what? You don't go on Twitter and say, my, my thing is working as expected. It's just the complainers who, who make a lot of noise. So they see, it seems like there's, there's a lot more of them. What are your sort of, uh, are, are you a technology pessimist or an optimist? Do you see our current age of social media and Facebook and fake news and, and, all, and, and all of these things that go along with it that are so vital to the moment we're in as, as an essentially positive force or negative force and i don't mean to put you on the spot with that but it's, it's oh, no, such it's, we, we live yeah. in this world where this controls apparently much more than we thought it did a few years ago uh i i don't think that anyone can have a true opinion about what all this means just yet i mean we're all heading towards i think you know some some incarnation of a singularity and it it is undetermined at this point. It's out in the future and it will depend upon how humans use the technology that they're creating. 
and if they're able to stay ahead of it, and if they're able to, I mean, for instance, you know, program the superintelligence with the the value loading concepts that are in uh, alignment with our goals as a species, um, you know, we can then we could actually evolve beyond you know the pure bioforms that you know we inhabit right now into some sort of hybrid, and maybe that's a great thing. We don't then you know we've all seen uh, how those movies go that's, Did, that's it i noticed that the uh one of the buildings was named the poe building so is that a reference to edgar, edgar allen of course <laughs> of course <laughs> we were actually uh just last night at the uh, edgar awards um oh, nice. up in uh up in midtown yeah i mean i i love the gothic um there's something very gothic about i think recursion and, and just about the way from an atmospheric scene setting standpoint that I approached uh, New York City in this mm -hmm. book. And I don't know, I, I I hadn't really thought about it until you mentioned it, but yeah, I think it was probably uh, my subconscious working. You, you've seen the, the, the Poe plaque on the in, on the Upper West Side somewhere? No, I haven't seen that. Where he lived? It's not a 40-story building. I don't think there is a 40-story building that... Uh, on the upper west side, there, there are a few towers, a couple towers, but not in this reality. Yeah. Yeah, it's, <laughs> well, it's interesting because as you know, New Yorkers, I think anytime there, there's New York architecture and sort of street navigation in books, I find it very interesting. And just the descriptions of the hotels, which sound exactly like the semi-secretive hotels that you really do run across here and there and, 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 and the streets well, and the, that was the inspiration yeah. for, I mean, that's probably, that's interesting. You said that it just sparked something because that was probably the true start of this book. Um, it was several years ago, maybe five, just walking uh, like a Sunday night through Midtown. Mm -hmm. You know, Midtown is, is, is sort of quite dead. And just walking past a uh, this entrance, this doorway entrance, and there was no signage. And my brain just started firing with these questions like, what's going on in there? It's something really, really weird. Um, and I, I don't know, I have an, a, a kind of a hotel obsession. I think hotel corridors are creepy and mm -hmm. fascinating and I, hotels are just these little universes all to themselves. Um, and it was very important to me to carry that atmosphere and that, in that moment of, of curiosity over into recursion. And it, of course it comes out in, in the hotel memory, uh, where mm -hmm. you can go to, uh, I don't want to spoil anything, but they do some pretty insane things to their most memories. It's funny, there was a big speakeasy craze in New York maybe five or six years ago where every bar was in the back of a candy store and you had to know the secret knock on the door or it was just a nondescript wall and you'd have to push on it to get in or it was behind the phone booth uh, and it would open up into a, into a bar. Now now they're all in all the tourist guides and it's incredibly cheesy. But <laughs> for, for a short time, we lived in a, in a, in a fantasized secret New York. Yeah. Uh, there's the Edition Hotel right down the street here by the park that uh, is, is totally nondescript from the out. You wouldn't know it's there, but it's like one of the, you know, probably higher end hotels here in New York. Now, had, had you uh, spoken to the people who uh, at MIT who did that study? Did you talk to them at all? Or I didn't. Um, I, I read everything I could find online. You know, it's always, um, you never know. I mean, maybe they'll listen to this at some point and <laughs> find out uh, that they were the inspiration. You never know when you talk to a scientist if they're going to be like, oh, that's really cool that you're using kind of something I've done as a mm -hmm. springboard into storytelling in a way to open people's minds to some emerging technologies or they could just not get it at all and um, 
you know, be very standoffish. I, I have an amazing scientific consultant I use at the end of when I finish each of my books, mm-hmm. uh, and, and he comes in and, and, and meets them, and, and that's where I that's where I lean in to get just to make sure that everything I'm saying, even if it's not necessarily something our world is currently capable of, it's shored up and is something that might happen. So I think there's a lot of elements of, uh, what was the, gosh, it was a book and movie, uh, sensory deprivation tank, uh, William Hurt, yes, there's a little bit of altered states in there. Uh, there's a little bit of, it's funny, we just saw uh, uh, the new Avengers movie, and there's a very interesting sort of time travel loop in there also. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, there's a great desire, I think, to go back and redo things and change things, especially today, where people feel so unsure uh, about the direction of the world and they also feel like they can't trust the information coming to them uh which well, is you know the unreliable narrator the entire world is an unreliable uh, narrator uh, now a hundred percent i mean there's a real sense i think lately that the concept of reality and truth and what is real and what is not real is very nebulous now um you know there's this whole thing called the mandela effect i don't know if you guys have mm-hmm, heard of mm-hmm. that it's you know a lot of people remember Nelson Mandela dying in prison, even though that never happened. A lot of people remember this book called The Berenstein. Yes, yes, yes. I remember it being Berenstein. I don't remember Berenstein, but apparently it's Berenstein. Uh, And there's uh, countless um, examples of this sort of, it's almost like like a- A shared memory, yeah. A shared glitch in the matrix. (laughs) Um, And you add on to that the whole, you know, this terrifying new concept of fake news and, and and truth just not existing like it used to. And that was really prevalent at the forefront of my mind uh, as, as I was building out this story, especially in the mid part of the book mm-hmm. where the actual skyline of Manhattan begins to change and a building that wasn't there 10 seconds ago is there. And it's all always been there mm-hmm. and, and, and you remember happened. it being there but also not yeah uh, it, it didn't go there but that gave me the feeling of stories that that hint at if they don't explicitly say that this is the simulation uh, and not the real world and the real world is unknowable um, is that's become a little more in vogue lately because of a little bit of you know back of the envelope math that says if we achieve the ability to create a simulated, you know, world or universe with, you know, artificially intelligent, you know, beings in it, we will do that. And once we can do that, you know, those creatures will then be able to do that and we'll create multiple universes. So statistically, what's the chance that we're the real one out of all of those possibilities? Um, hopefully, <laughs> sadly, it's sadly, it's probably more like, uh, it's actually 52 and a half percent. Okay, yeah, I checked it, it. now. Uh, but, that's, that's, but then it's just turtles all the way down. I, I, I uh, at what you get simulation and a simulation mm-hmm. simulation and a simulation how, you know, how do you get to what the baseline truth of what we what is real or would you rather not know i can't answer that question i know right uh and of course people inevitably use technology for the wrong reasons as as happens here as happens in in real life uh when you create something so fantastical whether it's in in in, in here or in dark matter and wayward pines is it inevitable that it goes wrong, the wrong intentions come out, it brings out the worst in people, where they're willing to do anything to, to take advantage of what they feel uh, is, is an edge, I guess. Well, they are in my books, um, mm-hmm. because that's, I think, the fodder of mm-hmm. really interesting plot points and a really interesting narrative. Um, I, I think 
humanity is, uh, I mean, we're, we're seeing it. We're 100% flawed. And there, of, of course, there's just a sense that, and I think it's dawned on us probably in the last few years, that maybe we're, maybe we're peaked here. Maybe we're going to always be unable to get out of our own way. And it's going to forever be, you know, one step forward, two steps back, four steps forward, five steps back. Maybe it's that's what we're in, what we're fated to do. The the idiocracy, yeah. uh, <laughs> the future of idiocracy. What is there anything out there right now that you see just as a consumer of culture and technology, whether it's virtual reality or or, or self driving cars or anything like that? Uh, that you find particularly interesting and think is good fodder for fiction. Yeah, you know, um, I, I was at the X Prize uh, mm -hmm. back in October, and they had a unbelievable track of, of presentations by all thought leaders across VR, AI, gaming, transportation, urban development, and I, I walked out of that weekend so oh. A, energized by just the sheer genius at work there, terrified by all the problems that were brought out and spotlighted you know, in our world, but also hopeful because they're like, we're gonna do this and we're gonna, we are going to beat this because we absolutely have to. There's a, you know, there's a really interesting um, X prize and it was called, it's called the Avatar. Uh, it's called the Avatar Prize and they're still, working on it but the notion the throwdown concept is we want to be able to take your presence and put it mm -hmm. anywhere on the globe instantaneously not just a hologram of you but your presence mm -hmm. so you can have a meeting sit be in your home and have a meeting in with someone in south korea and experience the sensations that are in that environment in your environment how they do that, I have no idea. But I found that to be a fascinating concept. Beyond beyond telepresence. Yeah. Yeah. Hyperturn. It all comes back to Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> or it's like a it's it's like a cheesy 4D movie at a museum where someone's just spraying you with a water bottle and fanning you. It's windy out here in San Diego. Don't you feel that? That's how I would do it. I'm just saying. What's it like seeing first one, but now so many of your works adapted for for basically for television? Uh, it's it's been um, a surreal, wonderful, at times maddening, uh, but overall highly positive experience. Um, I'll never forget the first time I walked into the uh, warehouse at uh, up in Vancouver, BC, where Wayward Pines mm -hmm. was filming. I'd never set foot on a film set before, and had flown up and they said, "Do you want to see uh, the, want to see the stages?" And they took me back. And, there's the sheriff's office. There's the uh, <clears throat> the candy store. There's the wood shop, and all just brought to life. And then to the finest detail, I'd written a uh, about about the snow globe that sat on Sheriff Hope's desk. That was a snow globe of of the town, mm -hmm. and they had recreated that snow globe. And it, it's it's incredible because you realize that you know you, the story starts with you, but then hundreds and cases of thousand people have who are all the best of the best have come together just to help visualize and bring to life this story that you created um it, it is incredibly humbling um and you know it, it's sad because i'll never have that 
first moment again <laughs> of seeing it. Um, but I still I want to see I want to see the dark matter uh, mm -hmm. box. I want to see the, the chair on the oil platform. Mm -hmm. I feel, yeah, I feel for Christian has almost jumped the gun. It's already, you know, well on its way before the book even comes out. Uh, I think it's going to be a, it, it's a Netflix series. I think Shonda Rhimes is working on it. You couldn't ask for a more a-list. It's not a series. It's okay. going to be a universe. Oh, wow. The idea is launching it as a film. Okay. Which then, as the book does, spins out into mm -hmm. multiple series, each of which will have a series that does the Darvis series mm -hmm. that does um you know uh, it could be a throwaway line that is only mentioned in the book mm -hmm. that could be a whole series it, it's an incredibly ambitious uh approach to, to the book and i was blown away because i i didn't know when i finished this book like whew, how is this adaptation gonna work um it's not a two-hour movie it feels bigger than just a tv show mm -hmm. um, and then netflix and, and shonda and matt reeves stepped up and said oh we know how to do this, and this is how. I want to see the hotel as its own yes. series, just in and out. It used to be you have to have a social media presence or something else. Now you have to have your own cinematic universe. That's the current uh, <laughs> That's the uh, high watermark yes. to, to, to say that you're really going places and doing things. Well, now that Endgame's in, in coming out, you know, mm -hmm. we need We need, we need a new cinematic right? universe. That's right. And, how, and, and in terms of your structure for the novel, did it go through multiple rewrites or did you have a good idea from the beginning how it, it was supposed to be? It was uh, uh, brutal. It was <laughs> brutal. Uh, my whiteboard in my office, which um, was just tracking the various uh, timelines, it looked like I was having a nervous breakdown if you walked into my office with, with the whiteboard of all the storylines and how they circle back and branch and vanish. Um, and, and, you know, I thought I had written and finished the novel a year ago, and then I realized, you know what, I haven't even begun to explore this idea throughout the last half of it, and mm -hmm. exploded it out. Oh, that's so interesting, because that last half really does take off in very, very unexpected directions. Yeah. Uh, you know, fortunately, no one thinks you're crazy unless you take little bits of string and connect all the parts with, like, thumbtacks, and then you have that kind of web of conspiracy. Definitely didn't do that. Okay, good. See, I, I think we're on, we're on safe ground now. Are you an outliner or a, uh, you know... Pantser. Pantser, that's right. Um, I, I, I definitely lean more pantser, but I... Or, sorry, more outliner, mm -hmm. but I, I have pantsing moments too um but no, i start my process is i start with the journal just a pen and a journal and I'll, I'll spend a few months and i think i've got an idea just outlining character sketches just writing notions of where this could go writing scenes that i want to write like what are the what are the scenes i'm most excited to write mm -hmm. about this idea and then you know and seeing do i see a form taking shape out of the fog or does it seem it's still you know elusive and once I feel like I've got a, a good sense of having my arms around it, I'll, I'll start a, a pretty sketched out outline. Not, not, not really detailed, but enough and at least through the midpoint so that I feel like I can start and I know generally where I'm going. Um, and that outline is 100% subject to change. Mm -hmm. And as the book progresses and inevitably changes from the outline i'll go back and adjust the outline so it's always a mirror of what's happening mm. in the book and and often it's really helpful because when when something isn't working and i don't understand what's going on i have all of the beats of of what the book is and i can just look at it at a glance and, and it's sometimes much easier to, to troubleshoot from thirty thousand feet and when you're so in the weeds of you know a chapter and sentences and so i can start moving scenes around oh maybe if the scene comes a little earlier, if this one comes a little later, I don't need that, that's a double beat. Then I start to 
actually get the structure locked. And do you do a lot of that outlining on paper or do you use a software platform? I'm always curious to see what people use. There are so many specialty apps for this sort of thing, but they always feel burdensome to me at least. Well, I, I feel like um, the fancier the programs, the more uh, it invites you to procrastinate mm -hmm. from actually doing the work. No, I just write the outlines in a Word doc. Mm -hmm. Occasionally I'll, uh, I'll, I'll old school uh, beat it out on note cards and okay. tape it up to the... Uh, to the windows in my office so I could just look at the wall of all the story beats and, and understand it. Um, it's, it's honestly whatever works in the moment and whatever, I, whatever the format that gives me this sense of comfort that, okay, I can do this. No, I, I get, maybe I'm wrong, but I was reading the acknowledgements and do you name some of the characters after real people or is that? Many of them. Yeah. 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 So is that, is that, uh, you've done that all along? Uh, you mean in, in prior books yeah. or just this one? No, I mean, I've, I've, I have, uh, occasionally done a shout out to, you know, one or two people. It seemed like there were a lot of there. people named after you know, people it, in this one. Yeah. And, it's, and they're all, uh, for the most part, writer friends. Cause I, I, I leaned very heavily on my support system of, uh, of, of writers who I read their work. They read mine. I've never leaned harder on people than I have on this book. And it just felt right to, uh, to include them. And I changed names occasionally because, <laughs> you know, it, it could get to a level of, uh, of actual distraction mm -hmm. if, if you're reading like, you know, best-selling novelists or all the characters. <laughs> so I would tweak the name. So, uh, it's, it, it isn't as, that's how you get them to give you blurbs. Yeah. That's probably very blurbable <laughs> right there. Really? Yeah. It's funny. I saw, uh, oh wait, yeah. Andy Weir was one of the blurbers. He was one of our first guests on this show oh, no, when, okay. uh, when the, the, the Mar, uh, the moon book came out, oh, the, Artemis. the second one, yeah, Artemis, which, which was super cool. Well, awesome. I, I think we've got, I think we've got a great, uh, a great sense of what this is about. And uh, trust me, if you start reading this, it just does not go where you think it's going to go. It starts off as a very, Dave and I were talking about this just earlier. It starts off as almost a conventional mystery where you think, oh, there's a clue here. There's a clue there. And then that just all gets wiped off the board at some point. And, 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 and I thought it was you know, fantastic. And I'm very excited to, to have you here. Oh, thank you so uh, much. Do you want to do a last round of, uh, you got a quick plug to throw in? Dame day title? Big, Oh, for, uh, for recursion? Sure. Um, the most precious thing. Oh, no, you know what? I know how I'm going to, I know what I'm going to do. Uh, I am going to blow everyone's mind who listens to this and yours right now in the room. Ready. Are you ready? Ready. Okay. So as I'm talking to you, you're, you see my image and how fast is my image coming at you? Whatever the fraction of the speed, the of, speed light. of light. Yeah. yeah. Speed of light. And you hear my voice at what? Speed of sound. Mm -hmm. Um, so hitting at different speeds, uh, you, the way our brain works is it takes each one, it, it holds the image and waits for the sound, and then it releases them together and you, we experience them at the same time, which means that we're all on a tape delay right now. Mm -hmm. We're about on a half second tape delay. Like Bluetooth. <laughs> we are living in a Bluetooth, but we're not, but it means that we're not experiencing the present. Mm -hmm. The present might not even exist because no one has ever experienced it which means that we live in memory. And this is a book that challenges not just, you know, the nature of reality or in, in, in the ways I've done before, but really the nature of perception, because we never experience the present. We are living in our working memory and all we ever experience is memory. And this is a book about that. And that, 
Cursion, and it comes out on the June 11th. 11th. I knew 11th was a special day. David, thank you so much for sitting in. Would you like to uh, plug a book or two? No, sorry. All right, all right. You know what? I'm going to put it in the little text that goes along with plug this. Plug a book. Yes, plug please, a book. Plug please. A book. Nice music, big exit. There you Lucidity. go. Lucidity. Excellent, excellent. I'll, I'll, I'll just save my plugs for the thing.